Well, let me extend my welcome to you as well. This is my first retreat. I've only been coming to Seven Mile Road less than a year. Some of you have been coming so much longer. Um, let me just say, we are so, Kevin and I, my husband, we are so grateful for the pastors at Seven Mile Road. Benu and Ajay, they love you, women. I've had meetings with them, and they care about you so much, and they care so much that they find this retreat center, and they um, plan training events for women to learn how to teach the Bible, and they lead the children's ministries, and it's just amazing how much they do. And I just, I just want to, they're not here, so I can say I'm not flattering them because they're not here. I'm not doing it in front of them. I, I'm just really thankful for them. and. The biggest thing that Kevin and I love about their commitments um, to the gospel is that they are committed to God's word. And so this weekend, just tonight and tomorrow, we're going to be three times going through passages in 1 Peter. That's a big chunk of a retreat. So Sim said that there are Bibles, and they look like this. And I'm going to give you page numbers. So if you don't have a Bible, this will be a good one to have. If you need it, raise your hand because Larissa is handing them out. All right, we got one over here. Thank you, Larissa. I can just throw you this one. Well, I'm not going to do that. There's been a lot of preparation coming up to this retreat, and I, I've been, I got a list ahead of time of all your names, and I've been praying through each one of your names. And I do that because I really want you to love First Peter the way I love First Peter. I really want you to love God's Word the way I love God's Word. It's so accessible and relevant and understandable and I just want that for you. So I prayed for you by name. I I want each of us to walk away feeling like we know more about God. We know more about Jesus. We know more about what we're to do in response to that. So know that you've been prayed for. We're going to study a portion of scripture found in the New Testament. So the Bible is made up of the Old and New Testaments. The New Testament is the second half of your Bible. Um, We're going to look at a letter written by Peter. And Peter wrote two letters, 1st and 2nd Peter. Um, In those Bibles, the white and blue Bibles, it's page 656. You should turn there now or uh, cue it up on your iPhone because we're going to be in it tonight. We'll be referring to it a lot. I don't want you to... Just believe what I say. I want you to see it in the text and believe what the text says. So we'll be looking at our Bibles a lot. Um, if you have your Bible open there, it's just a few pages long, right? It's not, we're not, we're not going into too much, but we're going to look at three key passages. Um, the theme of the retreat this weekend is suffering with hope. And we got, we, we didn't just make that up because we thought that sounded nice. We took first Peter and we said, What's First Peter about? Oh, it's about suffering with hope. Well, that's what our retreat theme should be. So we summed up his message, suffering with hope, only three words. And to give an idea of where we're going to go tonight and tomorrow, we have two sessions. I'm going to answer three questions as it relates to suffering with hope. The one we're going to do tonight is why do we suffer with hope? Tomorrow morning, we're going to look at what does it look like to suffer with hope? And then later tomorrow morning, we're going to look at how long will we suffer with hope? Why? What does it look like? And how long? I suspect that each of us is very familiar with suffering, only having been at Seven Mile Road for less than a year. 
it was quite a year. Lots has happened. Many of us right now find ourselves weighed down with burdens and we're sad, we're worried, we're scared, we're frightened, we're terrified, we're sufferers. That's what we are. We've experienced long suffering. Pain continues for years sometimes for some of us. But some of you might have come to this retreat and thought, I'm not quite suffering right now. And what I want to say is praise God. Because that does not always happen. Sometimes we do, we, we are overwhelmed with suffering. But maybe that's not something that you have immediately. Praise God. We, we praise Him for those times. You probably have a friend that is suffering, so we still need to hear this message. And you're probably going to end up suffering within the next year, so you need this message too. Everybody needs this message. And I think there's a third group of us here uh, of, of sufferers. And I think, I know I have been in this camp. There's some of us here who have put up a wall between us and between God, saying, I'm done with suffering. I don't want it anymore. I'm just going to put this wall up because I don't see the hope side. I get the suffering side, but I don't see the hope side. So I'm going to put this wall right here, and I'm going to put on this facade, and it's going to be all good with me because I am not going to suffer anymore. Peter has something to say to you, too. We, we have something for everyone here tonight, suffers with hope. I think the world is going to give us books and tools and workshops to deal with our pain. There's an entire section at the bookstore called self-help. And while self-help can have some good things about it, the problem is it's concerned with, its, or its primary focus is self it's helping the self. And we even have Christian, so-called Christian books that focus on self. Your best life now. It's all about you and what we're going to do now. But the Bible right here, this is not about you. It's not. This Bible is about God. It begins, anybody know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth main subject is God and it ends in Revelation and God created what new heavens and new earth and everything in between the beginning and the end it's all about God it's about God about what he did through his son and how we're to respond to him so if you if you've never approached the Bible in this light um, I just invite you to come with fresh eyes to learn about God discover the truth about him and his son Jesus Peter's going to describe for us a God of suffering, a God of intense suffering, the ultimate sufferer. But this God also is a God of hope. He has both sides. He's a God of hope. He gives hope, and he gives hope beyond all the self-help books combined. You don't have to buy a whole library. You just have to buy one book. It's right here. This will address our suffering with hope. It's found throughout the whole Bible, suffering with hope, but let's look at 1 Peter. That's what we're going to do. That's what we came to do this weekend is look at 1 Peter. The main message is suffering with hope, and it's there in the very first verse, believe it or not. So look there, chapter 1, verse 1, page 656 in those blue and white Bibles if you haven't found it there yet. It begins with the author stating who he is. His name is Peter, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then it describes the people to whom he's writing. He's writing to those who are elect exiles. Now these people were 
living 2,000 years ago, and we're reading it now today too. So these people were elect exiles, and the word elect and exile, and some of us might have some different translations out there, um, but hopefully it's somewhat similar. So you have the word elect and you have the word exiles, and what I want to say is when you put those two together, they mean suffering with hope. They mean sufferers with hope. He is writing to sufferers with hope. Let me explain what I mean by that. Take the word exile. Exile means you're away from home. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're exiled in a foreign place. It's different. It's difficult. It's unfamiliar. And for Peter's readers and for us today, for Christians today, our exile for them and for us is earth. What do I mean by that? How is earth exile? Why is this exile? Well, this is exile because Christians are also elect. We're elect exiles. What's elect? God has elected and chosen us and Peter's readers to be in his family. And if we're in his family, then we belong where he is. And where is he? In heaven. He's not... Well, he rules the earth, but he's in heaven. His throne is in heaven. He sits on his throne in heaven. So for us, we are God's elect living outside our true home in heaven. We're in exile. We are elect exiles. Heaven is the perfect place where neither moth nor rust destroy. Heaven is, heaven's our hope. Let's just say it simply. Heaven is our hope. Earth here, our exile, is where sin reigns. And it wages war against our souls. We are God's people living outside our true homes. We are sufferers with hope. And so are Peter's readers. We're about to jump in, but right before I do, I just want to quickly clarify what kind of suffering we're talking about. There's lots of suffering in the world. And Peter is not addressing the kind of suffering that comes as a punishment for sin. That is a big theme in Scripture. For sure. You might have heard about the literal exile that the Israelites faced in the Old Testament because they were disobedient to God and he banished them. He punished them and he put them in exile in Babylon. That's not the suffering that we're talking about this weekend. We're not talking about punishment for sin. Here, Peter is talking about undeserved suffering. He gives us a picture of Jesus, the one who committed no sin. Yet he was killed, he was judged, he had undeserved suffering. And because we identify with Jesus, well then we can experience the same kind of suffering too. As Christians, we are persecuted for our faith, we are called intolerant, we are called little-minded, bigots even. We suffer because of our Christian beliefs. But there's another kind of suffering. There's a third one. Sorry, i gotta got to get them all in there. Another sort of undeserved suffering. And that's just the fact that we live in a fallen world. People die. Dreams are crushed. We're hurt by others. That's not punishment for sin, but it's suffering that we have to endure because we live in a fallen world. And the passage we're going to look at tonight is going to talk... Tomorrow, too, all the passages. It talks about suffering that is undeserved. And it talks about the hope that comes in the midst of this suffering. Peter's going to help us see with our own eyes the reality of this world in light of the reality of heaven. 
Peter sees his earthly sufferers. I wish he could see you all here. He sees you, and he wants to paint you a picture of what heaven is like. He wants to paint you a picture of hope. And this picture that he's going to paint, it's going to say, the glory of salvation outweighs all earthly suffering. No matter what the earthly suffering it is, the glory of salvation outweighs all of it. What an impressive claim. I've written some things on the board over here for you guys. Tonight we're going to focus on chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. I have an outline, four points, and if you can't read them, that means you need to all move up a couple rows and sit right here in the front tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to read the text. Let me read it. Um, you just follow along silently, and as you follow along silently, uh, reading in your Bible, look for the, if you will, layers of paint that Peter brushes on, um, the layers of paint, the picture of salvation, and there are the four layers. If you can't, can you read it in the back? Is it hard? Jesus is the source of salvation. Future reward is the promise of salvation. Present trials are the proof of salvation, and past heralds preached salvation. Okay, let me read it. Do y'all want to stand? Do you like to do, we do that in church sometimes? Why don't you stand? We're going to stand out of reverence for God's word. This is God speaking. And after I read this, I'll pray for us too. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, would you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts so we can receive the message that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. All right. Almost every New Testament letter that we have offers a brief greeting stating who the author is and who his audience is. And it gives a brief description about the intended audience. And we've already seen the authors, Peter, 
and his audience are the elect exiles. And these letters, more often than not, after their little short greeting, after a few verses, it begins with some sort of interaction with the readers. Take, for example, our study in Colossians. We've been uh, listening to Colossians on Sunday morning with a J and Benu. <clears throat> Colossians starts off with sort of a praise session for, his, for the people he's writing to. Let me just read, read what he says. He says, and this is written by Paul, by the way. Paul, Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. It's all about the Colossians, and we're so grateful for you. It's, it's a pep rally. But here in Peter's opening, we don't have any of that. It's not about them. Peter goes straight to God. It says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you notice that Peter's, he's not just moving our eyes from one thing to, he's not moving our eyes off of ourselves and on to something else. He's moving our eyes off of ourselves and up to God. He's saying, lift your eyes up. See this God. He knows they're suffering. They're, he already said, you are elect exiles. You are living in a foreign land. This is hard. Lift, lift your eyes up to the God who is in heaven. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, it says there, he secured our salvation. He's the source of our salvation. Salvation. Jesus says he worked on our behalf to make a place for us at his side in heaven. Jesus, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven. What a message for suffering people. This is living hope. It actually says those words, living hope. You have been born again to a living hope. This is the mercy of God. According to the Bible, all of humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. There is no distinction among any of us. Anybody in this room, Ajay and Benu, Sibi and Mike, we're all the same. We all have lived apart from God. But in His power, He chose that we had the right to condemn each of us. He chose to instead put that condemnation on His Son, who could make the perfect sacrifice for us. He showed mercy and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. He gives new life. To those who are sinners, to those who are doomed to death, this new life is hope. We say with Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This salvation that Jesus has secured for us, this salvation is our living hope here and now. It is a living anticipation, a living expectation. We live, we expect we, we long, we can't wait. We have confidence in a new home that we have in heaven with Jesus. God's great mercy through Jesus securing our salvation. He is the source. He is the means of salvation. This is the first layer of paint that Peter puts on the canvas for us. And this salvation comes with a promise. We're going to add another layer of paint. He says we are promised a future reward. And if you just look right there at the beginning of verse 4, we can see it immediately what we have. We have a reward, which is an inheritance. Think of an inheritance that you would get from a mother or father, grandparents. You receive that inheritance. Why? Because you're a family member. Because you're part of their family. 
Well, just as you receive an earthly inheritance from your earthly parents or grandparents, if you're in Christ, you will receive an heavenly inheritance from your heavenly Father. That is, if we are born again. And it's interesting because only those who are in your family receive your parents' inheritance, right? Your parents are not going to give their inheritance to your next-door neighbor. So, same with God. He will give His inheritance to His people and not to anybody else. We must be in His family. If I'm not in your family, I don't get your inheritance. If I'm not in God's family, I don't get His. But Christ promised an inheritance. It's there. It says it. I'm not making it up. He promised an inheritance for those who trust in Him. And it's an inheritance that's greater than anything we'd ever get from any wealthy grandparent. It says what it is. It explains to us. It's an inheritance that's, that, that is what? It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. It's not money that can be lost in the stock market. It's not artwork that can fade. It's not a sculpture that's going to break. It's not a house that can be destroyed by fire. It's not goods that can be taken away by another family member or the government. This is an, an inheritance that's infinitely better than an earthly one. And as we see at the end of verse 4 there, it says it's kept in heaven for us. We're exiles away from our home. We're not there. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't grasped it yet. And heaven is the only place where things are promised to not perish, not fade. It's being kept for us. It's being kept safe for us. And in the meantime, we're being kept safe on earth. That's where he goes next in verse 5. He says in verse 5 there, You, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So God guards us. He keeps our reward in heaven, our inheritance, and he guards us here until we get there. Isn't that a wonderful truth? God, our Savior, will guard us, and especially when we have to navigate these difficult roads. And there are difficult roads. (laughs) I've had to walk down them, and I know stories of you guys that have had to walk down them. There are difficult roads. So Peter's going to go there next. Another brush stroke, another layer of paint going on this canvas of what salvation looks like, of the hope that we have. Yes, Jesus is the source of salvation. And yes, we have the promise of future reward and inheritance in heaven with our salvation. But it's a long road till we get there. And so Peter's going to show us that present trials on this long road, they actually prove our salvation. They're part of it. Believe it or not. Why don't we look at verses 6? Let me just read verses 6 and 7 there. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That sounds too good to be true, that we would have trials and then rejoice. Well, I think it's important to understand what these trials are. We don't have a very clear picture. Even the commentators will tell you that if you study. You don't have a very clear picture of it, what these exact trials are. But there's a few specific characteristics from this text that will tell us more about these trials. 
I would say they're the kind of trials that teach us the brevity of life compared to the eternity of heaven because it says what? For a little while. It's only a little while. And these trials that come, they're meant to test our faith. Just as gold is tested or purified through fire, so these trials that come, us, come on us are a fire that is a means to purify us, testing our faith, making it more pure and better and real and able to believe what God has promised to us. Let me just ask you to consider right now what kind of trials you're facing. I'm sure when we kicked this off talking about suffering, we knew right away what it was. But if we think about what earthly trials come on a basis of being a Christian, or what trials come just because we live in a fallen world, there's many things that can, ha- that, that can come to mind. Let me just ask a few questions. How will you defend Christ when you are blamed for being intolerant? What will you do? There is a trial that comes with that. I'm I'm sure many of us have heard about the shooting in Oregon, and there's claims. This just happened yesterday. There's a shooting on a um, community college campus, and there's claims that the shooter was targeting Christians specifically who would have them stand up and say, what religion are you? And they'd say, I'm a Christian. And you say, good, you're going to meet your God in a second. He'd shoot him, and he'd kill him. And there's another claim that, and I don't know if this is true, there's another claim that, if you didn't say you were a Christian, then you only got shot in the leg or something like that. So you see one, two, three, four, five, six people going, and some are getting shot in the leg, and some are getting shot in the head, and it comes to you. What are you going to say? Are you going to say, shoot me in the head, I'm a Christian? Are you going to say that? I don't know what I would say. I talked to my sister this morning about it. I don't know. Wow, that's a trial. And it just happened yesterday. This isn't 2,000 years ago. There are trials that come. How will you defend Christ when you say you're a Christian? What about, what will you say about God when your doctor tells you that you will not be a mother of a biological child of, well, according to his medical opinion? What are you going to say? Are you going to praise God for that? That's hard. That is a hard thing to swallow. It's a difficult road. What are we going to do? These trials that we have to go through, the way we respond, the way we act, the way we treat God, the way we talk about Him, that's what's going to prove our faith. It's going to prove our salvation. Are we in or are we not? These aren't easy trials. That's why it's so hard. Our world has fallen. It's decaying. These trials happen every day. Are you a resident of this world, relying on worldly things to comfort you? Are you a resident of another world? And are you going to trust that He has something better for you? Can we trust that? Look at verse 8. This is really thinking, Peter's really, he understands that this is hard. I don't want to believe this. He says in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. He's talking about Jesus. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I heard all of you singing. I was sitting, I was standing up here in the front row and heard all of you singing. And a couple times I just closed my eyes and I didn't sing. I just listened to you and you were all praising God. And it sounded so pretty. And you were singing these truths about God that are so fundamental to what we believe, to our faith, to our salvation. But sometimes it is so hard to believe those truths because we cannot see Jesus. Because I have this hope in heaven, but I can't see it. I can't grasp it. I have so many other things on this earth that I can grasp. I have vices that are all around me that can satisfy me. Yes, I do. I have such a hard time focusing on what I cannot see. That's why Peter pushes our eyes up. You can't see him, but you love him. You cannot now see him, but you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. This is a com- almost a command that we have to follow. We rejoice with joy because our salvation is coming. Do you believe in what you can't see? I think, that's, I think Peter wants to ask you that question. Do you believe in what you can't see? Do you believe there's actually an inheritance in heaven? Do you believe it? Do you trust That it is yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's mine. There's another group in history that had to believe without seeing. Long before Jesus was a baby born in a manger, there were prophets that came to declare the coming Messiah God gifted prophets with a foreknowledge of the incarnation of Jesus. They never met the Messiah, but they knew he was on his way. And with that picture, Peter brushes on his final stroke of paint, his final layer of paint, providing more depth to this picture of salvation. He's saying, past heralds preached this salvation. Remember, we started off this letter with an exiled people, a suffering people, and Peter showed them that, and he's showing us, that Jesus secured our salvation. And he's saying that we have a future reward with our inheritance. But until we get to that inheritance, we have to face trials. But those trials are a part of it because they're going to prove our salvation. And now he's saying that we have prophets, we have preachers, and we have angels even that Preach this salvation, that long for this salvation, long to learn about it, long to communicate it. So as we wait through these trials, we have to remember these past heralds who have preached salvation. Since the beginning of time, God's salvation has been in place. The same message in the Old Testament is, is the message of the Old Testament is the same message of the New Testament. Some people say in the Old Testament the message is Jesus is coming, and in the New Testament it is Jesus has come. It's all about Jesus. We point to him and we we reflect back on him. For centuries, prophets they've foretold the coming of Christ, and so great was this salvation that they searched carefully, diligently. Look at what it says in verse 10 there. Peter says, concerning this salvation, your salvation, concerning it, the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched 
and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the prophets predicted and herald this suffering and glory of Christ. And Peter goes on to say in verse 12 there that it was revealed to them, the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but they were serving you. This message is for you that they were preaching way back then. Many generations lived before us. And even before these readers, many, many people lived before the people that knew Christ or or had seen the Messiah. They simply had a hope of the Messiah. But we live with the knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. So our hope should be even greater, though we cannot now see him. We love him because we know he is the Messiah. We know who the Messiah is. They didn't even know who it was. They were waiting for him. And this great gospel message, the sufferings and the glories of Christ, has now been announced to you, to me, to us, through those who preach the good news to us by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which even angels long to look. Do you notice here how wonderful God is to us? He sent prophets and evangelists to bring us the good news by His Holy Spirit. And it says that even angels longingly admire what we get. They longingly see this grace that we receive. Angels! What a great God! When we think about the suffering and the trials that we have to endure and we have to wait and we can't see Him, He is coming to us with this message of the gospel. Every Sunday at Seven Mile Road, you get the gospel. We have preachers that tell us about the gospel, the salvation that's ours. We have a new identity in Christ, and that identity takes on all of who Christ is. It takes on His sufferings, and it takes on His glories. When it says here that the prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, when you read that, you should say, that's me too then. If He suffered, I suffered. Because when He's glorified, then I'm glorified. Where He is, I'll be. We just learned that a couple weeks ago at Seven Mile Road with Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, something like that. Oh, it was such a beautiful message. The glory of salvation outweighs all earthly suffering. That's what Peter is saying. As we close tonight, I want us to meditate on the words of one of my favorite hymns of all time, which is, To God Be the Glory. It's written by Fanny Crosby. And I am not one to know hymn writers, but Fanny Crosby is so cool. (laughs) I have read a couple of biographies about her, and actually an autobiography too. She is so amazing. She penned more than 8,000 songs. Can you imagine that? Wow, I am lazy. That's really good. 8,000 songs. Her most famous characteristic besides hymn writing was that she was blind. She couldn't see. Because she was blind, she actually memorized enormous amounts of scripture. She memorized all four Gospels, the Proverbs, and most of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, who would memorize Leviticus. She did. She did. She was blind, right? So she couldn't 
see, to read. So she just, she figured she was going to memorize it all. So she would just have it in her heart and know who Christ is. She couldn't see, but she believed. Fanny Crosby was reported as saying that had it not been for her affliction of blindness, she would not have so fine a memory. Wow, if we could all be blinded so that we could have such a great memory. I'm going to quote her now. She says, if, per- if perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She counts the memorization of scripture as more beautiful than even the prettiest artwork that we can see. Even better than sitting by a warm bonfire. She counts memorizing scripture and knowing the word and having it hidden in her heart better. She understood that through a trial of blindness, she could easily see the glory of heaven. Her eyes were focused on one place straight up. The song is, the first verse goes, To God be the glory. This is Fanny Crosby. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. And the chorus is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people Rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory for great things He has done. Father in heaven, we pray that we would believe what You've said in Your Word. God, we pray that trials that come, we would remember that they are just purifying us for our better home in heaven. God, we long to see you face to face. Until then, we have hope. God, comfort us the times that we suffer. Comfort us with the truth of your inheritance, the reward that is there for us. We're so grateful. To God alone be the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.